Hello, hola, this is Andres Aguilar. And this is Christopher Castro. And we're two best friends who are coming to you to share some really important conversations. Um, we've known each other for five years now, um, and we met when we became co-workers working at an elementary school here in the Bay Area. And we're here to share our very first episode of a brand new podcast project. This kind of got started out of us um, just coming together during this crazy time. Uh, we were trying to be safe, so we're kind of the only two people that we really hang out with regularly. Um, and we had a lot of conversations over that time that we thought, hey, these should probably be elevated by asking other people to be a part of them. Um, but also, we thought, man, a podcast would be a way to put our conversation to use, to drive it towards something. And so we have three things that we're going to center this podcast on. The first being connection. We, through conversation, we're going to connect a lot of things. Uh, a lot of art that's being um, created right now through music, um, books, uh, TV, movies, um, just media that we take in but also connection through our life experiences um, and just connecting at a deep human level. Um, and we hope that you're able to, to feel that connection too through the sound waves. Two is identity. Um, through identity is how you really view yourself and how you view others and what you interpret others to be. And we also know conversation helps drive us deeper to discover more about our own identity and others. And so through conversation, we're hoping to really plow through into that and discover more about ourselves, about each other, and about you guys. Lastly is uh, creativity. Um, I think in a lot of our jobs, if you, are, you have a, 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 an adult job now, um, you're working for a living, you understand that a lot of jobs aren't things that necessarily tap into that deep desire to create, to feel um, that you're giving back, that you're doing something that's uniquely you. And so we saw this as an opportunity to do that, um, to create something um, that we get to steer the direction of instead of our manager or our bosses. Um, so, and we're welcoming you into that and helping steer what we talk about as well. So we have uh, connection, we have identity, and we have creation. And so we Hopefully, we look forward to just having you a part of that and enjoy this first conversation. Yeah, so here's the first conversation. Like, as educators, when I, when number 45 was elected, I was an assistant principal at the school where we were coworkers. And oh I, my gosh, that day. And, and now, like, I remember the, the principal of our, or the director of schools and the founding principal of that school had to speak to the whole school in the morning at launch about what that moment meant and how it might be affecting every single one of us as a student, as a family member, as a parent, as a teacher, whatever your role, whoever you were in that moment, everybody was feeling something and it was on everybody's minds. And like four years later, I'm a, I'm at a third school from that moment. Like I'm at a third school and like time has gone by so fast and so slow simultaneously. Yeah. And the world just seems so different. I think I, I, I feel different from that moment too, but it's just fascinating to think about, all the things that happen all the time and how it accumulates into like your realization in the moment like who i am today was not who i was yesterday who was not like i mean yes a lot of a large part you're the same person but like god damn like so much shit has happened in these last four years that it just seems wild to think about what, what who was i and what was the world like four years ago yeah i think that's that's true I think to your point about changing though, I think it really depends on how much A, we reflect on things, but also how much we're willing to let go certain narratives that maybe we've always told ourselves. 
Um, but yeah, I, I distinctly remember that moment too. And it is really crazy how time, I always was thinking when I was growing up, when we had these really difficult times in my house when I was a kid, I used to always relish the idea of time because, um, you know, there's a part of you where you're like, you know, time is relative. It's definitely relative to your experience. But I also think what's interesting about time is that when I was a kid, I always used to know and I'd stare at a clock and I'd be like, you know what, though? Time is relative. Sometimes it feels fast. Sometimes it feels slow. But what I actually know is, is according to the human construct of time living here on Earth and my day to day existence is exactly the same. Every day is exactly the same. So the good part about that is even if it's a really terrible moment that can feel like a really long time, anytime that those things occurred, I always just tried to focus on, I know the clock's still ticking like it normally does, even if this was really fun and it would fat pass by quickly. Like I know technically like time is going at the exact same level. And it gave me some solace in some weird way um, that something would pass, you know? Um, but I think that's what we're doing now too, you know? I think though, instead of hoping, we need to do a little more than that this season too. Um, for like our communities, um, for the students that we, we we're teaching now and students that we taught in the past. Um, but yeah. So the identity, I guess our podcast is centered around really great conversations that we have around identity and i think one thing you mentioned earlier was about organization right now just like is being is trying to be as responsive as possible um to the moment and you know dei has been something that our organization is really focusing us in on but I had this conversation with somebody in an organization about like, what does DEI actually mean? And are we too focused on race when it comes to DEI? And they asked me this question, like, do you think that we focus just on race and, and only on race? And why do you think so? And I said, because the one thing that a lot of people can't hide. And it's like, it's super visible. And, uh, and I think race, the hard part about race too, is that not no, not only that it's super visible and not only is it something you can't hide, but it's also something that you can't control on how someone interprets you. I think for someone like me who, I don't know how you describe me, but being like half white, half Mexican, it's like this, the amount of things based on someone's own like racial perceptions and things, like the amount of things I've been asked if I am is like, through the ringer. So I think it's also interesting in that aspect too, where it's like, you have no control over that. People determine that for you, at least in my experience, which I guess like the point of this podcast too, is to explore that a little more for own empowerment, but also to help others because in a lot of ways, being teachers, we also know that the education system in the last 50 years has really failed a lot of America, um, including like ourselves in a lot of ways. And so I think we're here now to kind of just talk through it and hopefully offer another portal um, to education, depending on, you know, that everyone learns something while they're here. Mm -hmm. What do you think is it that motivated you the most to become an educator and I'll, I'll share first but the reason I ask is because for me race and gender like how those things intersect and how for me at least or gender within um, what I would quote unquote my culture because that's you can't really define that in a singular way like yeah. my culture is my culture to me but there's probably a million definitions or like a unique ways to describe your culture when in in the same way that like a professor once said this to me uh not said this but in class so i studied uh women and gender studies in college and i i think the one of the best definition or one of the best responses to what what is feminism um a professor a professor gave was a uh, 
feminism is a million different things. Everybody is going to have their own definition of feminism because it means something like everybody's going to be able to describe it for themselves and have like just a different interpretation of feminism in a sense where it's like everybody will have their own definition and that's okay. You know, and like for me, that, that makes me think of culture. But when I say that I got into education because of my race and my gender identity is because what I recognized was I never had a teacher that looked like me. And I never had a, I, never, I, I felt like growing up, I never had the teacher that I needed. And I 100% believe representation matters for many reasons. And this is like my email signature is this Gloria Anzaldúa quote, which to, the, to its effect is basically saying like, you can't be what you cannot see. And there's too many brown boys in school that don't see brown men involved in education and therefore begin to believe that education is not for them. And that's a weird thing to say because it's like, what is education? You know, like you basically, you need to, like education is what you do on your own, but I think it's severely influenced by the grownups in your life. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think like, when I think the education, it's interesting because I think from an early age, I really identified a lot with education. And I think I did that because, you know, I think one of the things that my dad instilled early was, you know, like you're going to go to college. But I don't think I need to leave out my mom out of that e equation either because, um, you know, maybe my mom only likes to read Nicholas Sparks now, but man back in the day we she used to just every week we'd go go and get like two tote bags full of books from the library and they'd sit by our recliner at home and that's the one thing we did every single night which i think really turned out where like i learned out i, I found out like hey i like to read and like and then as i think i built through college i realized like that's a huge empowerment like you can learn anything when you read a book and like if you have the desire and the curiosity and like that's why i think i'm so amazed by people like artists like logic who it's like the dude has an eighth grade education but the level of poetry that he produces is unreal it's like but he's 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 not like uneducated just like formally he might be but i think that there's a lot of power in that and so like i think coming from college i already knew i kind of wanted to I love books. I love reading. I loved like being in front of people and teaching in some way, whereas being a tour guide on campus. But I think I just saw the extreme need at the time. And I think I reflected a lot on like how so many things are determined by your zip code and growing up being like, you know, we were not always the most wealthy. Like, you know, I was definitely like a Pell Grant recipient and stuff going through college. And so, I think that also makes you where you're like thinking a lot about that where what could things be if. Um, so I think like getting into education for me was really about trying to combine some of those things. Um, and I don't know, I think there's something good about being able to give back in some way in terms of being that representation like I when you said that and it was interesting because like I was listening to something this week that was talking about um, people of color and education and I reflected on it I think I had one teacher of color in my entire time like kindergarten through high school I had one teacher of color she was my Spanish teacher like that is mind-blowing to me I mean, I don't know how mind-blowing it is considering the fact that where I went to high school, like middle school and high school was like, I was like one of like five Mexicans like in the school and like, there were like three black kids. Like the amount of diversity was not high, but like still it's kind of mind-blowing yeah. that you still don't see more of it. One thing that I really uh, admire about you is your love of reading and how much reading you do. And I think for me is, I never liked reading. It was really hard for me to find a book that I could stick with and, and read to the end or that would keep my attention. And I think for the most part, and this goes back to representation, it's because that everything that I read in school reinforced this idea that literature is not for me because 
it never included me or characters like me. There was never experiences like mine in the books that I was told to read by the grown-ups in the classroom. Um, and I think it's because they had, you know, they had this like idea of what literature was and what needed to be taught and what needed to be read. And it was this very narrow, um, this very, I guess, like narrow library. And uh, I think that's another reason why, um, at least for me, why I think a lot of Mexican boys don't think that school is for them. You know, it's like, because a lot of it is about reading. And if you don't like reading because you don't think that, you know, it's for you, you're not going to do it. And I, I never really liked reading. Like right now, it takes me so long to get through a book if I if I just can't find the connection, if I can't find the interest. Um, but I think like there's a lot wrapped up in that, though, too. And I think that that's hard. So I think first off, like. I think there's a lot of narratives that people tell us or even the environments that we're in that we interpret messages initially that that inform a lot about our experience moving forward. Like my first experience with reading was in a really safe environment and we did a lot of it. And I think when I got older, like there were times when like I was grounded for doing X, Y, and Z. And so the only thing I could do was read. And so I was like, well, and you know, you just dive into some things. And I think like, I don't think I still do it enough, but just going to a place and picking a random book is so important too, just to see like, what's interesting. Like, and I think there's some conception around reading that you think you need to finish things. <laughs> there were like, there yeah. was like times when like, I remember reading in, in college, I was reading um, for pleasure, uh, Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides. And I was reading that and I got like 300 pages into it. And I was like, I just, my Brian, I can't do it right now. Like emotionally, I wasn't in the place. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to acknowledge too, that like where you are emotionally interprets your, your enjoyment of book rape. Um, and I think you should feel free to have it be an organic experience where like you're going to go to it when you feel like you should read it and other times you're going to not read it. Um, and I think even at times when I'm reading difficult things, there are times still that I want to put it down, but I just need a break and then I come back to it and I'm excited about it again. Um, but I think a lot of those things limit us, like what people tell us too, how we should do it, what we should do. And like, I was reflecting on this. Someone asked me last week um, if you could give, well, I'll let you answer the question actually. If, um, if you could get like your, what advice would you give your 10 year old self today? Wow. Listen, listen, well, I guess I'll start with what I know about myself and what I knew about myself as a 10 year old. My whole life, I was a very insecure, very timid person. I was shy, timid, scared of the world in a, in a sense where it's like, if you were a stranger, I would freeze. Like I, I could not talk to people that I didn't already know and was already comfortable with. And um, what I, I like as an adult, as an educator, actually, to be honest, being an educator helped me become less introverted and more extroverted in certain contexts. Um, but I've always been a very like quiet person. And I think if I could talk to my 10 year old self, I'd just be like, be confident, be comfortable and like be a little bit like be a little bit more courageous and take a chance and like just start a conversation. It doesn't have to be a perfect conversation. Just like share something, try to connect around something with somebody. And it's okay to like, it's okay to just like be uncomfortable. And like, for me, I was afraid of being uncomfortable. And so like, I would always run to where I was comfortable or run to where I felt comfortable and safe. So like, uh, this is something that you need to, I have a question for you, but something that you need to know is uh, they used to call me and my siblings, uh, the Brady Bunch. Um, and I think it's for a couple of reasons. One is because there's four of us and we were like, there's that's a, that's a lot in a lot of in a lot of spaces when we would go to like 
places my parents would take us somewhere there's four of us huddled together but i think the reason we huddled together is because we were all kind of similar in that sense where it's like we're uncomfortable so we we're comfortable with each other so we'll stick together really tight in these uncomfortable spaces around these people that we're not really comfortable with or don't really know um but when we were talking about reading just now i was still thinking about race and i was still thinking about reading as a kid and a lot in my life there's been books that i've loved books that i'll remember that had an impact that stick with me in elementary school what was a book that was just like stands out to you as like that was a book from my childhood that i just really appreciated reading and i will never forget um so I'll go back to how I answered the question was I would tell my 10 year old self to not let anyone tell them that they're better at math or science or reading or um, writing or speaking or whatever. I would say if you're curious about it, go after it. I think there was a lot of times where I capped my options based on what other people told me, which I think is ultimately like really sad that it's like i was allowing other people to tell me what my potential was so a book that really stood out to me in my early years of education and probably the first book that i'll ever say I wanted to read again, you know, multiple times. And that I recently read as an adult and was like surprised by how challenging of a book it is, was Sounder. And the reason I think as an adult, this is me as an adult trying to analyze why Sounder connected with me as a kid. I think it's because the protagonist is a black boy. And I know I'm not black, but it was the first time that a boy was the center of the story and we were hearing about this like series of very powerful experiences for this boy and you said that you were the school came easy to you school actually came easy to me too in a sense where it's like because i was so quiet teachers kind of liked me because i was you know I, I wasn't ruffling any feathers i wasn't creating any chaos I was a quote unquote easy child to teach, which I, you know, sucks to say that out loud because, you know, I don't think that's what, edu like as educated as you and me, like we don't, we don't quote unquote value like the easy kids to teach or whatever. We don't like try to describe that. I mean, um, I thought I was an easy kid to teach too, <laughs> but somehow I never got on the like district or quarterly honor rolls. I was always just, maybe a tad bit too loud or too anxious to like learn. <laughs> and so most of the time I got into just enough trouble where I didn't get sent home, but enough to probably keep me out of being teacher's pet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think I was a teacher's pet cause I just wouldn't talk, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think school came easy. Like, I was really good at math. I was really fast at multiplication. I remember just being really good at these multiplication tests and like, I don't know if you remember Oregon trail, but the, the prize for being the first, the fastest to finish your weekly multiplication test um, and get the most correct got to go on the computer. And uh, I was always one, sometimes two, but mostly always one, like number one to finish and get the most correct. So I always play Oregon Trail. But anyways, back to Sounder. I think like Sounder was like that moment where I found, finally there was a book where I, felt like it mattered to me and um i think that's what matters to me as an educator is like continue to operate in the way where you are operating through the perspective of what it's like to be the kid in the room because as the grown-up you have the the power and you can keep all that power and all that control and What's important for me as an educator is to always remember what it's like to be the kid. 
And I never had that adult or that grown up in my classroom in school that I felt actually understood what it was like for me to be the kid that was like the only Mexican kid. Yeah, I feel you. I mean, I would say my, the book for me. You gonna change your answer? um, Maniac McGee. Um, And I remember that book distinctly from uh, from my elementary school time, I think it, I'm not a person who rewatches movies or I mean, outside of very select ones or like rereads books. So if I do do it, then it's like pretty special. Um, and Maniac McGee was definitely one of those books that I reread. And I think the cool part about Maniac McGee was it takes place in Baltimore, I think. I haven't read it for a really long time, but I'm pretty sure it's Baltimore. Somebody will fact check you. Um, <laughs> and then additionally, like, it's about this kid named Maniac, Maniac McGee, and that's his nickname is Maniac, and it's because it seems like trouble always follows him. But he's this kid that's kind of, like, a little dirty. He seems like it's a little confusing where he comes from or, like, who are his parents, like who's responsible for him. But he goes from like place to place and has all these interactions across the city in this book. And I think it was like, I think what I take away from the book and what connected me so much to it was the theme of just, you can never tell a book by its cover that like, um, there you're, you're always going to hear things, but what's wrong with trusting your initial like um, interaction with that person, which I think now as you get older, of course, like you're thinking like, I need to weigh that with a lot of other facts too, but I love like the open mindness of children. And that's who like a lot of the people he interacts with in this book. And it's so great. Like just hearing a child perspective, which I think is the reason why we continue in like education is because through teaching kids, through interacting with kids, you learn not only so much about the kid, but you learn so much about the world itself. Like exactly like yearning back to like some of my religious connections, like, you know, kids that don't have, aren't told how the world works has a lot of imagination and a lot of hope for how it can work when they get to create it, when they have the power, as you said. So I think it's valuable for us to taking their wisdom while they believe they have the power to help shape them into people who do have the power. Um, So, but I think also to talk about it, um, what is a, what is like a time, a grade level in your life, a time in your schooling history in which you felt you first sense some awareness of race things yeah so well i guess there's it's a two-part answer for me i think the most impactful year for me was fourth grade and i'll get to that but i think when i first recognized that i was different i mean it was probably immediate and i'll elaborate when I was a kid, even after I started school, but when I was a kid, my dad used to um, take me so that I could spend at least part of the week with my grandparents. My grandparents don't speak any English. Um, so I would stay with them in San Jose for part of a week, for a whole week. like, And um, they were really influential. And they tell me all that they, they reminded me all the time, like, you used to only speak Spanish. But then once I started school, like I only spoke English and that was it. And like, I understood less and less of what my grandparents were saying to me. And I was able to respond less and less to them and have like my conversations with them were shorter, less clear. Like communication is super important. When you don't speak the same language, it's like super hard to to communicate. But I remember just feeling so different and also being treated so different in elementary school, mostly because all my teachers were white women, but also because most of my classmates were white as well. And 
I think it was like the way I was treated in elementary school since kindergarten. I, I was treated different and I was very quiet. Like I would never say anything to do anything. And like, I didn't know how to like stand up for myself or defend myself. I didn't, wasn't really completely aware of why I was treated different by the kids and by the teachers, not just by the kids. Um, but when I look back at it, I even look, look at my kindergarten pictures, like the teacher would, um, partner me up with the other brown kids and not the white kids or like things like that or the white kids would treat me different than the other brown kids and there weren't very many brown kids it was like maybe one or two indian kids me one or two asian kids and then like a, like mostly white kids um this is in a bay area suburb so it's not quite the bay area and if you know the bay area it's very segregated so on the subject of being able to choose to use a different address. We didn't have to, like I was lucky enough to be in the same zip code where I got to go to a good elementary school. But as an adult, I'm worried that it was only a good elementary school because it was a mostly, a school that served mostly white um, middle-class families. So that's, I mean, that's another aspect, but I think fourth grade to say why fourth grade was most impactful. I think it's because of one, it was the first time there was another Mexican kid in my class. Um, and we became best friends for a whole year. And I super was like super tied to him as like, dude, this kid is like me. We're best friends. We're hanging out all the time. Um, I go to his house. Like we had to do this uh, like potluck for school. And the potluck was like cook a dish from your culture. And so my mom gave his mom her secret family recipe for flan. And I don't even like flan, but I was excited to make it with him and his mom because it was like from our culture. And um, that was super impactful. But he, he was gone after fourth grade. He didn't come back to fifth grade. Um, and I think if I think about it just a little bit more, why fourth grade mattered. And this is a little bizarre because missions were not at all a good thing but it was the year of California history. And California history talked about how California used to be part of Mexico. And like that made me a little bit proud where it's like, oh, I could connect because I'm Mexican. And so like I'm living where Mexico used to be in a sense. And I thought that was really cool. Um, so I'd say fourth grade was the big, big year for me. I got to read Sounder. I made best friends with another Mexican kid. Um, and I got to learn a little bit about the history of the place where I lived and its connection to the place where my parents grew up and my grandparents grew up. Um, so I'd say fourth grade was the big year for me. What about you? I would say it's so interesting. Like, so because I'm half white and half Mexican, and I grew up with my mom who's white and closest to her family, like her mom, her, my grandmother on my mom's side, always took care of us the most. Um, and uh, my dad's side was a little like just, I think, unique in terms of the fact that my grandmother was always around. We always went over there. We love my grandmother, but my grandma Castro was always just, um, she wasn't as excited to see us as maybe some other grandmothers. Um, uh, my grandfather passed away in 95, and then she remarried like six months later to a guy named Vicente and uh, he was from Mexico City and he only spoke Spanish and oh my gosh the food this guy oh my gosh the food we'd have after he moved in was amazing like Nepales like oh my gosh the way he'd make it was salivating like it was so good and I remember <laughs> going over there and when I was young and my grandmother had um, an Aztec calendar on the wall in like, um, like terracotta or like clay or whatever you want to say. And I just remember them just briefly talking about it, which I know very little, um, but it just made me so immensely proud where it's like, oh, I come from a warrior culture. So I remember going into kindergarten and even though I didn't know Spanish because my grandparents didn't teach it to my to my father um, and his siblings as they grew up in the 60s in the Midwest. And so they thought it'd be easier to assimilate if they just never knew. So they only used it to like the language to fight in. 
um, or to like discuss things that they didn't want the kids to know. So the kids didn't really learn until like my, my aunt ended up learning how when she was an adult. Um, but I, I think it's interesting because it made me so proud. And even when I went to kindergarten, I had a crush named Emma and uh, I wrote her letters in gibberish and then I told her that they were in Spanish and that they were love letters and that she was like so beautiful. Um, but I think it was a moment where like, and I think like when I think about this more, I think there's a lot of times with like being someone who I'm raised in one culture, maybe some people identify me with another and I might even strongly identify, like I think throughout my childhood, like I wanted to know more about my dad's side. Like I aspired to be more like my dad, but just as a child, like sometimes you're more distant from one side than the other. And so I think that happened to be the case and I just didn't learn as much. Um, I would say though, in terms of the most impactful year is much later. And I would say that would be my sophomore year in high school. And that year, I, I made a lot of adult mistakes, even though I was a child. Um, and I was so desperate. But I think at the same time, I got so much more encouragement that year. I was like so involved in believing that I could be a writer, that I could like read and write for a living, that I was like submitting essays to like Scholastic Magazine and like all these things thinking someday I could just like get published. Um, and it was also the time in which I think someone kind of just reaffirmed how good of a reader I am and how much reading matters to being like, to learning. And so that year, like I had like a spiritual crisis and I even started reading like Buddhism texts and I even read the Book of Mormon for a brief amount of time. Please don't judge me. Um, but I was looking for any salvation possible. And so I think like, I think in that year, it was interesting um, because I was trying to be a little bit more adult than I think I needed to be. Um, but I think it also just speaks to the fact that when you have the in your most restless times, there's a lot of moments that force you to kind of be silent. And I think that sometimes it's really hard to be still, um, but I have found being quiet gives you the most answers. And so like, I've tried to do a lot more and think more. Um, I think even during this pandemic, when I get to certain moments, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just need to like pray or meditate just to connect with a different part of yourself. Um, but that'd probably be my most impactful moment in terms of, of a grade. Um, let's move on to our, um, as we, as we wind down the show, move down to our, um, connection moment. And mm -hmm. each week, um, we are going to bring you something that we connected with over the week. Um, something that, um, we're going to mostly be bringing you things that we think are beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful for some reason. Um, we might be limited a little bit on what you hear, um, but we'll try our best to describe it if that's the case. Um, but we're going to take from all different things. Um, so, uh, Andres, like, are you, are you ready for your moment? Do you have your moment selected? Ugh, my moment. I don't know if I have my moment selected yet. What were you going to share? Mine is not necessarily from this moment, but I feel like I can go and retrace like throughout my summer. So I'm going to go ahead and base on that. And also something we already talked about early in the night. But um, there's a song um, from a record that came out a couple of weeks ago uh, mm. called Old Blue Eyes by Waylon Payne. And it's from um, an album uh, called, I don't know the whole thing. I want to make sure I don't get it wrong. 
appreciate the attention to detail. You're queuing it up on the on the old uh, JBL. I'm trying my best. I'm a big fan of the JBL, man. I've been using it since I was a fourth grade teacher. Ah, just having that portable speaker, so clutch. So good. Um, the album is called uh, Blue Eyes, The Harlot, The Queer, The Pusher, and Me. Before we listen to it, if we're able to, because I don't know about copyright, but what I will say, if you have to go to YouTube or Spotify after this to listen to it, um, in, in this, this guy is produced by the same guy who produces Miranda Lambert, so he's technically country. But I think there's something really interesting that I've taken away from a lot of country music now, and just music in general, because I think mm -hmm. music, as as Barty Strange, for another you who you guys should listen to, explore genre and what it means for race. Um, so many genres influence each other, and I think that's an important part of art. I also think like what that means for gender is interesting um, and what it means for race. And I think here what he's talking about um, is he's a, he's like a phenomenal songwriter. And so I think making a, like creating a song, he puts you in a place and you can visualize it. And in, and um, he was signed and produced a full length album in 2004, went through many trials and tribulations between then and now. Um, but along the way, he like kicked in an addiction. He met a lot of people um, and he battled with his inner demons. And what this is a lot of the, he wrote a lot of songs to portray that journey and the people he met along the way. And so I think that's beautiful because he's really focusing on, he's in the song, he describes a guy who I interpret to be a drug addict and the two of them um, using drugs in the song. And I think it's interesting because he paints such a humanity to that person. And I think that's exactly what we need to remember even now is the people of your past, that even you dislike the most mm -hmm. still are human and have a story to them. Um, and when I was, I worked at a theme park in Branson for a summer and for so much of my time, I just swept balls around this ball pit. And I remember the thing that kept me entertained throughout the entire day was looking at the different people that visited the park and just wondering what their story was and wondering where they came from and why they came and what brought them here. And like, what did they go home with? And like, are they worried right now? Or are they like ecstatic and excited? But something is going on around the corner that we don't know. Mm -hmm. And I think like songwriting is like a portion of that. And so I'm so excited to explore this track because I think it's beautiful just to remind everyone that even those who are most different than you, that you might see mm -hmm. as detrimental to how you live are also still people and have something to contribute and to explore that a little bit more the next time you see that. Yeah, You played this song earlier. I really liked it. Are you going to play a little snip? little clip of it yeah let's let's do it thanks gotta put it a little bit louder six and the year of our Lord from the moment he saw me he seemed to know all about this road we would go down. Oh, and tonight 
the moon And so will I That is beautiful. I really appreciate all the music you share with me. There's a lot of music that you share that I just wouldn't have ever heard of, but I think this helps me understand the small connection I want to share today too. And I think we were talking about this earlier about like how Dog Face's uh, TikTok video where he's just vibing to some Fleetwood Mac. Expand on that a little bit more for the listeners who don't yeah. know by that name. So he's vibing. He's just skating on his skateboard on a cruiser. And he's um, sipping on some ocean spray cranberry juice. Vibing to some Fleetwood Mac. And I think what, what, his, what he's trying to do is like really just connect younger generations to old school music. And the reason I think this is the connection I want to share is because um, my dad and I, we've had a very rocky relationship. Like I idolized him as a kid, but then I also got really angry at him as an adolescent. And as an adult, like our relationship has improved a lot. But I remember as a kid, I always thought my dad's music was so lame. Like I just... Thought it was so lame. I remember specifically one moment when he, we we would drive around. My dad always had like a beat up car, and he would purposely have like these beat up old cars that he would use as a commuter car to drive to work because he was a commuter, and uh, he wanted to get the best gas mileage and yada yada. And he's like, I don't need a nice car. I just need a car that gets me to work. He's like, cool, whatever. But he would play music, and my siblings and I would be so confused because he would play music. For example, Santana, he would play Santana. But as a kid, I thought this music sucks. It has no words, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, why do we listen to this music? It doesn't even have any words, dad, you know, like, but I really, as an adult, like I listened to so much music that my dad put me on. Um, and I value that so much because it's like all this good music that as a kid, I didn't understand. And I actually hated as a kid, but as an adult, even like since college, like I love the music that my dad introduced me to and Fleetwood Mac is some of that music. And I just, when I saw that TikTok video for the first time before it went viral, before it was like everywhere and everybody was replicating it, I was just like, yes, like this is the shit. Like that is the vibe. Like I love it. I loved everything about it. It was so simple, such a simple video, but it, I it, it hit it hit me and it connected with me because it's like that's the music that's my dad's music every time I hang out with my dad we put on some Fleetwood Mac like it is what we vibe to we put on some old school music and I just that's my connection and I don't know if you could play a clip of that but I think that's something that I value is like how music can connect us and bring us back to the relationships that we have to the to the connection between the present and the and the past generations um and how you know like we stay connected with our roots um boom there we go yep just hanging out in the backyard, just listening to some music, having a beer with my dad. That's a vibe.
wind down the show um we want to just say you know if you like what you heard tonight subscribe comment um if there are certain things that you connect with questions that you had that you want to hear talked about here that you want to participate in the conversation put it in the comments subscribe we want to hear from you as we're educators and we're looking to continue to educate those around us that does not exclude us from the education process. And so we hope that we learn from you guys as well. So share your voices, um, share what you wanna hear on the show um, and uh, give us feedback. Um, we It was a pleasure to share uh, this time with you and we look forward to uh, um, completing our dialogue. Yeah, I wanna just say, Castro, um, I'm excited to continue to have these conversations and. On the subject of learning, like a big part of the, the 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 a big part of what I take away from our conversations is the opportunity to learn about myself while talking to you and learning about you and making connections with you through these conversations. Like we're really good friends, but I learn about you more and more every time we have a conversation. And every time I hear you speak and every time you share with me it helps me think and reflect back on things that have happened to me or things that i understand or my own perception and perspective and you know i just really value being able to grow from our conversations and take something away from it so you know i think i'm excited to continue to connect with you and i'm excited for our listeners to continue to connect with us and uh definitely like like castro said please please send us questions that you're thinking about send us the questions and the the points of our conversation that connected with you and that you want to participate in as well we're excited for it um yeah that's it castro episode one <laughs>